This week on the Road to Cinema podcast, actor and director Leah Thompson talks about her new film, The Year of Spectacular Men, written by her daughter Madeline Deutsch, who also stars in the film, along with Zoe Deutsch, Jesse Bradford, Nicholas Braun, and an appearance by the film's director, Leah Thompson. We'll talk all about her passion for independent filmmaking and what she learned from observing Robert Zemeckis on the set of Back to the Future. The Year of Spectacular Men is now available to watch on iTunes, Amazon, and other video on-demand platforms. Great. Well, thank you, Leah Thompson, on the Road to Cinema podcast this week. Uh, What I really didn't know about your career before seeing this film was that you have worked as a director on a lot of television shows, The Goldbergs, uh, recently Mom on CBS. So when did directing really become something that you wanted to pursue, or was it really always on your mind? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I kind of always wanted to direct, but um, I, you know, I was like too busy (laughs) with kids and family and jobs and stuff. Um, But I did, I think it was, I got to do the research, but I think it was like 12 years ago, I was doing these movies for the Hallmark Channel, these little weird um, independent movie kind of things for these mystery movies called the Jane Doe mystery movies. And I played the title character and they were like a mystery wheel, like they used to do on CBS with, uh, you know, Columbo and... I think Murder, She Wrote might have started out like that. Oh, yeah. But Angel anyway, Yeah, they used to make these movies as a series. So they started, they tried to revive that on the Hallmark Channel. And so I was like this CIA agent that, I was a mom. Like, I was just like super smart, and but I was a mom. Perfect. And uh, anyway, so I did like a number of them. And then finally I was like, let me direct one. And lo and behold, they let me. And it was actually a really difficult, complicated thing to shoot. Um, because they were, like I said, low, not low budget, but they were non-union movies that you had to make, you know, have this big scope because they had a big European release. So they had to have these certain kind of chases and things like that. Um, helicopter chases. I had to shoot a whole bunch of sequences on the water and, you know, with a very low budget, small crew. Yeah. With a small crew and bringing the most out of your locations. These things that really helped me when I directed my own feature. So I did two of those, and it was a great experience. Um, and then I've, you know, I've, I've always really wanted to direct, but um, I, you know, I've always been like a, a good egg, like a good cog in the machine, like a really a team player. I, I've always, and I think maybe because I have very little education, uh, you know, I didn't go to college or anything like that. I was a ballet dancer. My whole, I'm not, as you can tell by this podcast, words are not my first thing. Like I think in kind of images and movement and pictures and the way I learned how to act is, is it's not intellectual the way I learned things. I learned them by doing them. And so, uh, so you didn't have sort of like, uh, like a lot of people rely on Stella Adler or Sandy Meisner, some sort of overall technique. Was that, mm. that was never sort of in your, uh, no, no. And a lot of things about going to college is not necessarily that you learned how to do it, but you learned how to talk about it, especially art. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't have that thing. So it kind of keeps, kept me from being really confident about my ability to be a creator, to be a, um, not, I'm not afraid of being a leader. That's easy for me, like to, because I'm a mom or whatever. You know, I like I I've done really intense projects and been the leader. I'm I'm not afraid of that. But it, but 
the idea of like really making something from nothing and saying my ideas that come out of my mind and my heart are worth someone else listening to. I don't know, that sounds weird. But that, that, that was a new thing with my movie, The Year of Spectacular Men, that I directed. That was the first time I like... And it, and it took my daughters to kind of help me have the strength to be like, this is you my know, in terms vision. Of like finding like, uh, you know, collaboration is such a big part in filmmaking. But some actors, you know, approach going to a set like I'm in the hands of the director and the crew and I'm just sort of going to take their lead. Was mm-hmm. that how you were on a lot of films? Or? Kind of. But I have been number one on, on a, for a good deal. Number one on the call sheet for a good deal of my career. Uh, Caroline in the City, you know, um, I did a bunch of movies. I've done a bunch of movies where I was the star, little movies, TV movies. Um, so being number one on the call sheet, you're there all the time. So it's not, you, you, you get producerial just to survive. You know, you're like, you get to know where the bad problem, where the problems are because they make your life more miserable and you learn how to try to fix them or navigate them in a certain way. And, um, so that was that's really been helpful for me because I have a producerial mind that helps me as a director and as an actor. And when you do this as long as you as I have, you you really know a lot about everybody else's jobs. You know how to you know, you, you definitely can see right away like a superpower when I go on a set, yeah. I can tell where the problems are. <laughs> I can tell who the weak links are and how to and then I also know how to uh, inoculate myself from that, how to like make, make, figure it out. You know, if the writing's weak, I, I know how to navigate that. If the director's weak, I know how to navigate that or the sound. So that's been really helpful to me as an actor, as an artist, and as a director, just to be so aware of the different departments and where they're weak or where they're strong. But sort of like switching your point of view for, for this film, and even maybe even when you started directing those TV movies, was there sort of like an initial thing that you thought when you stepped into the sort of director position that you didn't even realize when you were on the other side as an actor only? Yeah, I mean, it's always that scary moment when everybody stops and looks at you and goes, <laughs> okay, where do we, where's the camera? <laughs> and that, that's the only time I really get scared. I mean, and it's so tense being a director because it's like all about the time. Yeah. It's always, something always could go wrong that could screw up your schedule, and you're just trying to be cool about it. <laughs> and it's um, almost like a performance there. It's yeah. like be cool, like everything is fine, you know. I'm, yeah. You know, like inside, you may like internalize it, but you just have to be relaxed. To everybody else. Yeah, and what I love about life is that you surprise. You always surprise yourself. Like it surprises me how much. Uh, how cool I can stay and how focused I can stay and how strong I can be, you know, and that that's uh, that's one of the things I love about being a director. It, it really brings out a part of me that um, that I su- that surprises myself and I really I, I rise to the occasion in a way that makes me really happy. <laughs> When uh, when did your daughter first show you the script? Did, had you known that she was writing it for a long time? Do I need to set this up at all, or will you set it up before? I don't know. Um, I mean, oh. I made a movie 
called The Year of Spectacular Men. And my daughter, Madeline, uh, she wrote it. She was always a really great writer. And she wrote songs. And one of the difficult things about writing is that you have to, you know, you write something personal. And the person who you wrote it about might watch it or see it or know or recognize that that you're writing about them. And most of us don't have the courage to do that. It's a very vulnerable position. It's not only vulnerable, but it's dangerous. You know, it's, it requires courage, a lot of courage. And, uh, most people don't have it. And I, I, I have very little of it. Like I couldn't be as, you know, I couldn't write such honesty I'd be afraid of hurting people's feelings or what are they going to think or all that. So Maddie could do that even when she was really young. She started writing songs at like 14 or 15 and I'd be like, whoa, that's brave. (laughs) You're going to be at the hotel cafe and you're going to sing that song? That's pretty brave. So I knew she had this ability and this really, a mind that worked like that. And so she was really having this terrible year and as we do as artists and my family, we're like, you know, get it out, do something, sing it out, write it out, play it out. So, um, make it funny too. (laughs) And so she wrote this script and I really loved it. It was very original to me. I was, I, 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 you know, I've explored all the levels of ingenues and movies coming of age and all of that, you know, and I was in the middle of that with John Hughes in the eighties and that was almost like the beginning of a genre in a way. Like until the 80s, that teenage movies about teenagers didn't really exist in that way. Not too much. I mean, yeah. you can kind of think of a rebel without a cause or something like that. There were a few, but, you know, I, I had played so many ingenues and they were almost exclusively the dream girl of the writer. And, and even sort of like moving the plot along, like they didn't really, sometimes like they could not have an integral part in a way. Maybe. Yeah. I would move the plot along usually, but uh, but the character was their idea of the, per- I mean, literally written as the perfect girl, yeah. you know, that was the perfect. No flaws, no. Uh, I had flaws, <laughs> but they were, they were, you know, like I did Red Dawn and John Milius is a lunatic. And so his idea of a really perfect girl was dirty hair, mud on your face, and an AK-47, you know, <laughs> and super brave, jumping on a horse. There was, I had flaws, yeah. but I was still their idea of, I was still fitting into the overall thing of, like, don't offend men. Yeah. Fit into what is the, their idea. All from the male point of view, Yeah, 100%. don't offend and I learned that very early that being a pretty girl was like a very difficult thing and you had to not offend the women and you did had, had to not offend men. So uh, what I would, what I would call the tilting of my head, you know, and now I'm not, now I'm a middle-aged woman, so I don't have to do that anymore because I don't carry that, that, what's the word? Like a, what is it? A, a uh, I can't remember the words. Like when you're something, you're a symbol, yeah. a symbol. I don't have to carry that symbol. But this is a long way to get to the fact that Maddie wrote this character that was not that character. It was a, it was very flawed and m- made mistakes and was depressed and wasn't. Nece- it was cute, but not 
you know, cute all the time and was like doing weird things and not making right choices and not fitting in even, even the way she, the, the way the script was structured wasn't the normal kind of structure for kind of a rom-com because she wasn't, she, there was no way she could end up with the guy. And they were, the story was that there were these five different relationships in a year, which in itself freaked out the producers. They were like, how could she sleep with five guys? I had to make it very clear that she only slept with three guys and one guy was her ex or her boyfriend yeah. of a couple of years. I mean, that was like blew their minds, like you can't sleep. And I was, I was with them. I was like, whoa, whoa, because I've been conditioned, like you can't do because that. Because if it was a, a film about you know, a young guy in his 20s, they wouldn't question it the same way. And no. we've seen those films before. No. So it's sort of interesting why no. that stereotype is... Uh, it was, it's visceral. Yeah. I mean, I had to really be like, oh, they stayed up all night, but they didn't sleep together. You know, I had to do that. And, um, you know, Maddie was like, oh, but I had to. And, 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 and it was okay. It didn't change the story that much that she wanted to tell. I'm going back and forth. Because um, the character, the, the movie of the year, Spectacular Man, Maddie wrote it kind of after she had this terrible year. She couldn't, she graduated from college and she came home and her sister was a movie star. Her little sister was a movie star and she had all these terrible, uh, she couldn't make these connections with these guys. They just, it was just a disaster. And so she kind of wrote this movie, which then ended up not being really about her real life, but just kind of the general feeling of it. And, and, uh, you know, it was super funny and honest and like her original take. It was not someone writing a movie. It, it, it was like, you know, I, okay, I've been to class and I know you got to do this in the second act and you got to do this in the fourth act. You know, it, was, it wasn't that. It was like, this was a story that she just had to tell and she had to tell it in the way she told it. And I, and that was great. You know, for me, because it's original, it's different and not the same thing you've seen over and over again, because there's formulas and we all know them and we feel comfortable in them in film. Yeah. You know, and I think, as you said, you know, when you try to do something different, there is always that pushback sometimes. Oh, yeah, totally. But that's the fun of independent film. Yeah. Like you, you get, I had a couple producers, you know, like I had three producers and they, I did things for them that maybe I wish I wouldn't have now, but maybe they were right. They were guys and they, they wanted it to be accessible to guys. And oddly enough, the movie actually does play really well for men in some ways better than women over 35 or 40. They really have no patience for girls who are depressed and lost for some reason. I think it's kind of that thing when there's so few movies about women, you want them to be strong and get it done. And you know, you don't want them to be, um, flailing, you know, yeah. because Maybe people, they either see themselves in those characters, yeah, like I, I was so. like that when I was that age or something to that effect or maybe, I don't know, but, but, but guys generally do like the movie and gr younger girls, it's kind of like older women have a little bit more trouble with it. when I see it. That's just been my experience with it. Not all the time. A lot of, I mean, I, I talked to a woman who was like 83 and she was like, nothing's changed. It was like that when I was a kid. And I was like, really? That's so crazy. Um, you know, some things are really universal to people and other things aren't, but, um, 
I'm really rambling. Am I making any sense? Oh, no, you, I was uh, curious, sort of jumping in when you read the script and, you know, eventually it came to the point where you're like, you know, I'm going to direct this. What was that collaboration process in terms of your putting sort of your stamp on the mm. screenplay or sort of your stamp on what the film would be? I think I had no, a lot of notes. I'm kind of good at rewriting, although I did never touch the pages like that. But I'm, I'm good at kind of rewriting. And, you know, the script definitely changed a lot. The end changed a lot because we were lucky enough to, um, well, because it's called the Year of Spectacular Men and it took place in Los Angeles, um, Lake Tahoe, San Francisco, and New York over four seasons. We had to shoot... Uh, 19 days in Los Angeles, shooting a lot of interiors that were supposed to be somewhere else. And then we shut down and waited for snow and went to Lake Tahoe and San Francisco. And we shot for two days in each. And then we shut down and we went to New York and tried to get the spring, which we did a really good job. I think it's really pretty in New York. And um, so I had a chance to kind of like cut the movie and kind of like try to nudge Maddie in certain directions that I wanted her to. Obviously, did you have a chance to edit scenes from those different breaks? Yeah. That's a great opportunity. Yeah, it is. Kind of jump right in there. Yeah, I did. I edited and edited and then mm-hmm. I, you know, and I also didn't know if we'd have enough money, especially to go to New York. We, I had the whole movie. I tested the whole movie without New York or Tahoe. Or San Francisco. I don't know what, what I would. I don't know what movie it was, but um, I like looked at it and tested it, and then um, rewrote, had to rewrite certain things and, and change things, and so I think that was fun and useful. But I also had a really long movie, so it was really bad because it was too long. I wouldn't recommend ever shooting a movie over a hundred, uh, over a. Um, 100 pages, never. Wow. So, so the script was uh, much longer than what we see in the final version? Yeah, it was... I probably cut an hour out. There's a lot of movie in there that I cut an out. An hour out that you had shot? Yes. Wow. I don't know how that happened, because it was all talking. It wasn't like all these other movies where people were just wandering around. So that's why sort of budgetarily you were able to fit that in, because a lot of the scenes were more dialogue-driven. Yeah, yeah, but I would not recommend that. I mean, if I, when I do my next movie, I'm gonna be like just insistent, insistent that the that the there should never be a, a scene over five pages ever, <laughs> ever, and there should never be a, a script over a hundred pages. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking with it. Well, what I really loved about the overall tone of the scenes and it plays into the performances is this uh, speed. It's sort of like, a, like almost like a screwball comedy, right. 1930s, 1940s type of speed that the scene has. And yeah. was that something that you would discuss with the actors going in? Yeah, yeah, and I think Maddie naturally has that kind of uh, comedy timing where she want, wanted to go fast. But I definitely edited it that way <laughs> um, because I had so much material. I had to, the, I had to do a lot of cutting internally, in there inside the scenes because they yeah. ended up being too long. Even though they were talking fast, I yeah, don't know. That was something I really enjoyed about those scenes. Oh, the, good. The brisk pace of them, and good. you know the way the actors were. Cl- I hate like long pauses sometimes oh, with actors. I hate walking like... around. <laughs> I 
don't like. Yeah. I, I have I have to direct something where everybody has to walk around. I have to do a mystery soon because I I can't stand that like walking around, just like oh I don't know why. <laughs> but yes, you know we want. I wanted it to. It's an interesting thing when you're dealing with someone. It's in the beginning of the the story. She's depressed, and we say it. She's depressed, and. That's always an interesting thing is how you either like do drunk or do depressed, but not make the movie too slow. That's a really, it's a, it's a challenge. Um, I just saw the band's visit on Broadway and that's like all about this lazy, hot, you know, town, dark and gloomy. And like they managed to pull it off in a musical, which is kind of impressive, but they kept it very short no intermission so that you you know but that sometimes creating those tones but not boring people is really really interesting yeah. but people do talk fast when they're depressed so <laughs> <laughs> that's a stereotype that people are slow when they're depressed <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um but making but this was really awesome to me because i made my first dollar as an artist when i was 13 and I'm 57 now. So that's a really long time to be a professional artist. I'm really lucky. And you were a dancer originally before you ever yeah. decided to become an actor. Yeah. But I did get paid to act when I was 17. I starred in a play and I was paid to act. Um, but yes, I was a dancer until I was about 21. And um, it's so great to keep learning. Like, I learned so much on this movie. It was crazy. And I love that I can still just like be blown away with learning something new because making an independent movie is so different than directing episodic because you have to be involved in every single little area of it. You know, you have to just the sound. I didn't, you know, I just spending so much time on the sound and the soundtrack, all the music, picking that, just seeing how how different a scene is when you put different songs against it. Um, it's every detail, every detail that you don't even think of when you're watching a film mm -hmm. as a viewer, just as a passive viewer, that mm -hmm. all these little things add up to one thing. And it's the fact that I could take, I literally, every single scene, I spent mm, 20 hours on editing. How is that possible? I did Mom. I did the show Mom, the sitcom Mom. I directed it. I think they gave me two hours to edit that. You know, or I did, or the TV movies I did, they gave me five days. But I spent 20 hours on every single scene of that movie. I don't know how that's possible. And I would be like, how is that possible? Am I, I'm not crazy. How did that just happen? Would you, did, for the next film, do you feel like you would do it again the same way or you would do it very differently? Um, you know, it would depend. Like, if I, I always would do it well, differently. I, I guess I just say that in terms of, like, sort of what you learned from this and oh, sort of yeah. carrying that on to the next film. Because obviously, as you said, directing a half-hour TV show or a TV movie is completely different. Yeah. I think it's nice to have... Um, it would be nice to have more people like <laughs> to help but then again there's certain charm in that um and I always feel I'm always like when I do interviews with Madeline uh my you know my daughter I'm always we just get obsessed with like how hard things were to do and nobody cares 
you know, we should just shut up <laughs> because like everything was so, uh, you know, grassroots, personal, handmade, you know, just because we had to lug my mom's paintings in and put them up everywhere because I didn't really know that you have to get clearance for every single piece of art and every single thing. And now you have to get clearance for t- people's tattoos from the artist. Oh, yeah, that was after the uh, Mike Tyson lawsuit for the hangover. Yeah, like you have to get, you know, so there's all this stuff, this physical labor that went into like, or all these things I'm super proud of that I matched, found a cabin in Agua Dulce and it was 110 degrees and we shot the inside there and then I found a big, like almost the exact cabin and I carried the thing that was in the front door. <laughs> I found it in Lake Tahoe and shot the exterior. Like there's all these things, these little things that... I'm so proud of that really don't matter to anybody else, but it, it does make the experience more fun in a lot of ways to have, to be very small, but, um, but it is, it, it would be fun for me to work on a really big, like special effects movie. So I could work with those kind of great artists that, that you get when you do something like that, when you get all these great, like stunt coordinators and these people who draw all these crazy things. And I'd love that too, to just work with, you know, department heads that are super fabulous. Are those the types of films that you may want to direct uh, down the line? Something very sort of large scale, almost like a superhero movie? I would love that. I know people think that's weird, but I would love that because I did make a lot of really big movies in my time. And I have the kind of tenacity and um, skill and attention for detail and like I said this really incredible knowledge of everyone's department from just doing it so long and I think that my skill set would be really good for that because I don't give up until I get it you know I, I do not give up until I get it the way I want it to but I do it in time like I know time is money so I'm very organized and very good at that. So yes, I would love to work on, I would, you know, it seems like a nightmare, but I would love to work on a movie for a year, you know, or two. I think that would be great. What's interesting is that people don't realize that actors who have long careers versus directors who have long careers, actors are on more sets. They have, they see much more than any other director can. And directors don't see other directors working. They only know their own little bubble. I know so. that's what you you say that and it's so true and I'm always saying that I, I think I should add it up but I've probably worked with 200 directors. I know what doesn't work. I know what works. Not that I can, you know, each each set has its own alchemy, but I know what works. And it's a lot of hard work and it's a lot of collaboration and it's a lot of um being prepared and then being willing to let that preparation go when something doesn't go the way you want it to and knowing ultimately that that might be better. You lose your location, you find something else. You lose your actor, you get a different one, you know. I think that's one of the most frustrating parts in filmmaking is that you spend so much time prepping, sometimes months, Mm -hmm. and then you show up and then everything is moving at a very, very fast pace and things have to change. And then that plan that you work so hard on you can't go through with it, but then if you're not flexible, then it could affect the movie in general. It's a disaster when you're not flexible. It's actually, I would vote no preparation, be flexible, <laughs> as opposed to be completely prepared and absolutely not flexible. Like, it's a disaster. 
because especially an independent film because you you know you just never know what's going to happen I'm, it's like insane it's insane yeah. you know what you you don't what you can't control and what um you know when people are doing you favors and they don't show up or you know whatever you know and 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 that's one of the things that that's the reason we were able to make in the year of spectacular men the movie look as good as we did for no money we were very flexible and everybody was like down like they were super cool all the the guys the spectacular men were so cool like what do we pay them like dinner (laughs) (laughs) we didn't pay them very well and you know, like Nicholas Braun had to show up in L.A. He had to go to New York. He had to go to San Francisco. And we were like, can you stay with your brother? You know, it was like that. And he was, he's a really great actor, and he was super flexible and willing to, you know, go with it. Go with, you know, the craziness. Of- and he, I assume probably didn't have much any rehearsal time or so mm. actors are showing up and starting the scenes yeah is that difficult uh you know even for you to show up and do a scene where you know here's the director here are the actors everything is brand new and you kind of have to jump into it yeah go for the best in a way yeah yeah uh sometimes you know so, a lot of times it works out really well but sometimes you know obviously the worst thing about spending six months in an editing room is that you just beat the crap out of yourself. Or at least I did. I was like, why didn't I do this? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I get that? Like, you know, when ultimately when our movie came out and there were a lot of great reviews, a lot of great reviews, a couple bad ones, I could agree with both. You know, I was like, I, you can't beat me up. I've already beat myself to death over everything. Like, you know, in that, you know, if they just don't get it, that's fine. But I, sitting there in the editing room is just an act in humility because, and I, I don't think people realize that about directors. When you really sit there, you're just like, oh my God, why didn't I do another take? Why didn't I shoot it that way? Why did I not make them match? Why, you know, it's just that all day long. It's terrible. But I think, as you said before, like when you're a viewer watching it, you don't know any of that happens, and then you're just enjoying what you're seeing. Yes. So if the movie captures hopefully. you, it captures you. I know, so I should shut up. Basically, <laughs> shut up, you baby creep, you lucky girl. Yes. I'm but just saying that for other yeah. directors. Oh, no, but, yeah, but I think that's something like filmmakers aren't is, always aware of, that you know, it's like they're watching their work, but then they don't realize that when the audience watches it, they don't bring all that baggage to it. They're seeing it in a very genuine oh, yeah. way. Oh, yeah. And I have that complete ability. I've been watching myself for ever. So as an actress, I'm definitely able to, and even as a director, because when you're directing TV, they do it all. I mean, they take it and cut it apart and do whatever they want with it. Yeah, I think directors only have one cut, I think. Oh, yeah. that how it works they, for Yeah, the they don't have in, zero respect for the directors. <laughs> um, and that's... It's actually upsetting to a lot of directors, but to me, not really. I mean, I, I'm always kind of interested in like what they decided to to use out of my cut. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what. Okay, so duly noted. Um, but you know, uh, I'm used to you know people kind of mushing around with my work and. That was really the most interesting thing about making this movie is like every single shot 
is my fault, <laughs> for better or for worse, and which is kind of great. It, but it's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot to just go, these were all my decisions. And like my daughter Maddie says, we made the movie we set out to make. And that's rare. It's a real blessing that I have had, at least had that opportunity once in my life to just, this is my piece of work. I mean, I think even independent film, I mean, a lot of directors go into doing something and they compromise all the way. But to have you say at the end, like, I made the film I wanted to make, that is a Mm -hmm. very rare thing. Yeah. I mean, of course, there's always some shot I didn't get or maybe I should, I wish I would have, you know, they often say that films are not finished, they're abandoned. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if I, if you could said to me, you can go in and you can cut some stuff right now and then put it back on, on, uh, on uh, iTunes and uh, wherever it is, Amazon, uh, I would do it. I, 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 I can't help myself, but that's, I guess that's a good thing. That means I'm an artist. Um. But what were you, were you, your question that I was trying to answer, have I woken up today? Uh, <laughs> sure. Was that the question? No. <laughs> uh. I, hate, I hate talking. Um, uh, but anyway, yes. What were you? Uh, well, I, um, well, I wanted to ask you a little bit, you know, just to uh, close out about Back to the Future since it is sort mm-hmm. of the anniversary. I mean, does that movie hold a, a special significance for you looking back? Uh, yeah, of course. It's uh, I, I feel super blessed to be known for such a great part and such a great movie that was so subversive and bizarre in the first place. Like, it is a crazy movie. The story is completely weird, and um, my, my, I had to act yeah. a lot. Coming from an acting challenge, you're playing almost three different characters, you know, the older mother, the teenage I, version, and then the And really new, big characters. Version. Yeah. I was not Lorraine McFly. I never was Lorraine McFly. She's a crazy character. So I feel super honored and super amazed that people are still, like, into it after all this time. I mean, Bob Zemeckis is even, like, amazed. He, he's made great movies. And, you know, this is the one. He's made great movies, and he's a great director. And that was, it was so fun for me to watch Back to the Future. I don't really watch my stuff that much, but I watched it with an orchestra at the Hollywood Bowl a couple oh, years ago. That must have been incredible. Alan Silvestri mm-hmm. uh, orchestra. Yeah, wow. and he had to write more music. Weirdly enough, the first like 30 minutes has no score. So he had to write more music for the orchestra, <laughs> which was really cute. Um, and I played pretty good. Um, but... As a director watching that movie, uh, I, was, I realized how much influence Bob Zemeckis had on me as a director because he, he had kind of the, he has the kind of the opposite of economy with the way he shoots things. He puts so much in every single frame. He just like packs it with story. And he would always say, if it doesn't further the story or the character, it has to go. The story or the character has to go. Or maybe if it was funny, it could stay. (laughs) And he was always so delighted with every single thing that he could add to me. And he would say, like, when people watch this the third time, they might see this that they didn't see the first time. And, you know, we, we didn't even sign sequel deals or anything like that. But that's the way his brain worked. Such a great director. And... So I, I, the way I frame things or the way I block things, it's always about telling the story with, 
And I get so upset when people have really bad sets because sets really tell the story of, they continue to tell the story of the characters. And, you know, yeah, all of the detail that's the in detail. There. I show up, I'm always playing the mom, right? And I always show up at my freaking house. And it's like, what? Did anybody put any thought into this character? The house is what tells the story of who these people are, their rooms, you know, and people just don't even think about that. And he was like obsessed with that. And that's what that's what's fun about working with really great people on a crew. They like think about that thing, you know. I remember in Howard the Duck, I just gave my daughter a sweater. She was auditioning for something and she wanted a pink sweater, Zoe. And I gave her a Howard the Duck sweater that I had. And they had bought a cheap sweater and cut it and sewed it right here to show that she was poor. Yeah. Right here in my close-up would be little hand stitching. You might not really see it, but you'll feel it. And that's what a really good artist does. And that's what Bob would do, and that's why I'm proud to be in Back to the Future. Yeah. Did I wrap that up? That was perfect. Well, Leah Thompson, <laughs> thank you for coming out today. And how can people see the film? The Year of Spectacular Men tells the story of Izzy Klein, graduated from college. She's a little depressed, and so she has these five crazy boyfriends and gets through it with the love of her sister. It stars Madeline Deutsch and her real sister, Zoe Deutsch. I directed it. I play their lesbian mother. And it is on Amazon and iTunes and VOD. And you'll really have a good time. Right? You will. <laughs> Great film. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Road to Cinema podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Jog Road Productions. And you can also write us a nice review under the iTunes podcast page for the Road to Cinema podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Jog Road Productions, to watch some of our video interviews with Don Cheadle, Hewan McGregor, Greta Gerwig, and many more. We'll see you next time.